Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Breakout Con 2019. Episode 202. What art can do for your game. Presented by Shell Khan and Emily Griggs. Moderated by Jonathan Lavallee. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, you know, that minute has passed, so uh, let's get started. Yeah. All right. Hi there. Uh, welcome to What Can Art Do For Your Game? Uh, I'm your moderator. My name is Jonathan Lavallee. You're not going to really hear from me. Uh, we're going to talk about our esteemed panelists over here. <clears throat> to my immediate left is Shell Khan, who is an illustrator, comicer, writer, and educator. She writes adventures and makes art for RPGs, writes and publishes her own adventures as pocket dungeon packs, creates inspirational comics with wheeled comics, and has used comics and RPGs to teach creativity, confidence, and build community with folks like the Toronto District School Board, Dames Making Games, and the Aga Khan Museum. I love yeah. your new pocket dungeons, by the way. They look beautiful. Right? Yeah. And to uh, on the far end over there is Emily Griggs. She's a freelancer, who, a game writer, and artist, providing both art and writing for other people's games and producing both her own indie projects. She's currently writing for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition, Exalted 3rd Edition, and drawing mostly for her own Etsy shop. <laughs> Good applause if needed. Thank you. Uh, so, quick question. We're going to do a little poll. Um, who here is an artist? If you're an artist, put up your hand. Okay. Are you a game publisher or a game designer looking for to, to, how to deal with art? Okay, so so pretty split, uh, but that, that helps us kind of figure out what, where we're going to go. So the first thing, um, or questions that we've talked about, and so uh, cover design and large illustrations in your book are how people often skim through your work. Um, how do you feel you can make art that explains the content, tone, and priorities of your book? I'm going to start with you, Shell. <laughs> I suggested this point. So <laughs> you did, that's why. That's we my fault. You. Um, so I think, like, art, obviously, when you talk about, like, oh, I have to get art for my game, it's often weighed as sort of, like, it's advertising. You're using the art to sell your game to people. So how can you find art that's going to sell people what your game actually is, as opposed to maybe what you're expecting RPG art to look like? And I think one of the things that I've been seeing more and more games do is challenge that kind of everything has to look like D&D stance. Uh, and so when I started in the industry, I felt like it was hard to find people who were stretching out beyond that, but uh, indie games has really opened that up. And so I think if you're, if you're making a game that's supposed to feel pretty traditional and feel like D&D, then you want to say that with your art. And you want to think about things like, how photorealistic is my art? How are my characters posed? What kind of actions am I showing? Is this a heroic image, right? These are things that are gonna tell people what they can expect from your game. Not just from like, oh, there's a, a person with a, a fireball and a sword. I am going to wield fireballs and swords, but also <laughs> how is that person depicted and what is the visual language you're using? And so some of that is stuff that maybe feels like you have to go to art school, but honestly, a lot of it is just taking a look at what's out there, I think, and seeing, okay, my game, 
I want people who like this body of work to try my game. So what is the visual language that that body of work uses? Is that appropriate for my game or how can I reference it? Um, this is all very heady thoughts already. We're getting deep into it. Um, yeah. So Emily, what about yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, I think those are good points. Um, I think the idea of having some idea of what you want and finding it already out there is very useful as a game designer. Um, I usually just end up drawing my own stuff for the games I'm publishing myself, which is kind of cheating. But then again, there's also a lot of games that I've looked at and said, no, my art style is not the one that's appropriate for this game. And generally, I've got a very specific art style. My art style is small, it's cute, it's kind of comic-y, it's kind of anime-inspired. They're mostly little people that are doing big actions. And that's great if that's what your game is about. That's great if your game is about, well, you know, little people doing big things, or if you want to invoke that kind of cute comic booky style. But it also means that when I'm approached by someone, then if that's not what they're looking for their game to be, then it's I'm I'm not the appropriate person. And yeah, I think people definitely judge books by covers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, to an extent, I don't think, even think that's a bad thing, especially when it comes to RPGs, because if you're clever about even while you're writing, starting to think about what kind of visual style is appropriate for the world I'm building. When I imagine the characters in my stories and my players' stories in a visual way, do I see them as real people? Do I see them as photographs? Do I see them as My Little Pony characters? There's a game out there for that one. Mm -hmm. uh, do I see them as animated characters? Do I see them as comic book characters? And just even while you're working on a game, starting to compile a list of artists you find very interesting and very similar, can really help make sure that what's in your brain as a writer gets into everyone else's brain at the same time. So to add to this question, uh, what kind of pitfalls do you think people frequently run into when thinking about big illustration and cover design, and, and where, do they, where do people tend to stumble? I think sometimes you get the list of 500 things that they need <laughs> on the cover, um, where it's like, okay, well, my game has battles and it has magical creatures and it has romance and it has spaceships and it has and that it like you want people to know that those things are things you can do in the game but with a cover image you really want to simplify and pull it down to one really catchy idea that's going to sell people on that so if you think about a lot of the new D&D 5th edition covers they're not a list of all the things you can do in D&D that list is really heckin long um, they're like a beholder, one scary person, a cool adventurer doing a thing. Um, so trying to like simplify to a kind of iconic image that is, you know, speaks a language that people like, but doesn't have to give them that list. The cover is really more about grabbing their eyes and yeah. getting them to pick up and engage with the book, I think. And I think something a lot of first time commissioners, people who aren't used to purchasing art, might not realize is that that kind of design process can be something your artist helps you with. I've worked with people as um, mostly private commissioners, but also companies who know exactly what they want. And I, I think you've actually given me some, some of my earlier writing artist briefs, knowing exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. But I've also worked with artists who say, you know, this is my book idea, this is my character idea, this is my whatever. I don't really know what I want to do with it, but I kind of want this feeling. And especially if your artist has worked either in the gaming industry or in a related genre industry before, they have a visual library built up that you might not have. So giving them a bit of trust and then asking to see, you know, maybe three or four sketches of like, can you give me three or four ideas? And then kind of going from there, which one fits your interest can mean that 
you're not giving the artist a brief that's going to be really busy or not really appropriate for your game. And the artist might also get a chance to really show off the things that they're best at. I think to add to that, there's a thing that can happen if you've thought a lot about your game and you have in your head a list of adjectives um, and then you have a scene from having played that game. (laughs) Um, And when you ask for a cover brief, you might give people the scene, but be worried more about the adjectives. Yeah. Um, Please like let yourself like make that mind map and figure out like how you want people to feel when they look at your cover. What are the what are the adjectives that you want to communicate? And you can have a discussion with your artist where like this is the scene I had in mind, but these are the things, my goals for the cover that I'm most worried about. So I want this game to feel mysterious but hopeful and romantic, right? And uh, you know, this scene I had was this wonderful scene with these two great characters I'm gonna describe in great length. It's like that's I I want to know that, but I definitely need to know those adjectives. Um, because I think a lot of the art job is taking those nebulous terms and putting them into yeah. a concrete image. Uh, one of the best character descriptions I ever got, which was for just a private commission for a friend, was a soot-stained robot that looks like a gothic cathedral. And that told me very little about exactly what I was drawing in terms of like proportions or like any of the specific details, but soot-stained like gothic cathedral like just went right onto Google, and I immediately had hundreds and hundreds of images of inspiration and I probably turned out a better job than if the person who was commissioning who was not an artist had tried to give me you know the exact breakdowns of what this robot looked like and that was just absolutely wonderful okay so I'm gonna move on to the next question uh, and then maybe we'll open up to see if there's uh, questions um, around um, so illustrations are often quick demos of mechanics or how the game works um, so how do you do art that demonstrates these mechanics clearly, enticingly, interestingly in, in, in the illustration? Do you want to start this one? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think in terms of, um, again, as an art commissioner, if you're preparing a game and looking for art, finding an artist who has action scenes in their portfolio can be very useful. Uh, it can be very nice to have some things like little portraits, uh, especially because Things like having some portraits can give you an idea of what kinds of characters can be in this game. But for me, when I'm browsing a game, uh, and often when I'm playing it and trying to reference it quickly, having illustrations of like key mechanical points in the game, like you know, here's the section about where you have your fighting powers, and here's a big picture of people fighting, uh, not only gives me an idea of what the game is about, but also gives me a great visual cue, so if I need to go back and say, where were those fighting rules in this 300-page book? I can just look for that one image of people fighting. So picking out, how do I put this? There's a few different, I guess, goals that you can accomplish with an illustration in a book. There's showing people what kinds of things you can play. So what kinds of people, what kinds of actions. There's giving people great visual cues for different sections of the book. So this is the section of the book about fighting, this is the section of the book about romance, this is the section of the book about political intrigue, this is a section of the book about, I don't know, horse rearing, whatever your book's about. Um, this and, is the friendship, this is the magic. Yeah, there, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got a theme going here, oops. <laughs> um, and I think just making sure that you, you know where in the book a piece is going before you get, get it started can help you to do the most as possible with a single piece of art. 
I think when you're trying to show something like what your game feels like in play and what your characters or your players can do with their characters, what their characters can do, there's two approaches. There's sort of the cinematic, here's the movie it feels like you're in approach where it's like, you know, we want this scene and it's going to be windy and we're going to be on top of a skyscraper and we're going to be dodging bullets matrix style. Um, And you're like, okay, cool. I'm in, the matrix this is how it's going to feel to play this game and so if i think of something they did in the matrix my character will probably be able to do that and that's like making pop culture references using the art um which isn't like it's not fan art but it's art that's making sure it's connecting your game to something that people can all connect to or make reference to but then i think the other thing is like oh this game is literally about driving your car into someone else's car um, so you can have your Mad Max reference, but you can also just have a really cool spot image. No background really needed. Doesn't have to be that detailed, but just like, this is the cool thing that you are going to do, right? And so you can almost like diagram out some of those mechanics. And I think those are often really useful for those landmarks in the book. Yeah. I think what you were saying about um, like referencing pop culture, um, doing more than using an existing visual narrative or a set of tropes. As soon as you pick an art style, if it's an art style that people are going to be thinking of, like it's something where everyone looks a little bit like they're in the Matrix, or if it's anime-inspired or comic book-inspired, you immediately clue every reader who's familiar with that genre into the kinds of actions they can expect out of your game. And you can subvert that sometimes. Like If you want to do a very serious, giant, fighting robots game, but you draw everyone as these like cute little bunny rabbits or something, that's, that's going to say something else about your tone. Yeah. But it's definitely a tool, like visual style is a tool you can use to clue people in just without, before you even get into the content of illustration, yeah. into the kinds of things they can expect their characters to be able to do. I think one great example of that is if you look at the Conan RPG and all the other Conan stuff that's being put out now, there's been like a push to pull a lot of Conan stuff back under the same umbrella, where for a long time we had like a totally gonzo movie and we had comics that were just all over the place. Conan would team up with like Wonder Woman and stuff. <laughs> and we had uh, all of the books that are getting republished in these like very serious tomes. And like the tone was off all over that IP, uh, which is great for me because I love Conan and there's just <laughs> diversity of Conan stuff. But now that they're, they're really trying to pull it back in, even the role-playing game, everything looks like those Frazetta covers from the seventies because that's, what they want you to feel like when you play a Conan role-playing game. They want you to feel like you are reading those Conan stories with those Frazetta covers, and it's beautiful, and it's muscle-bound, and it's twilight, and it's shiny, and you don't know what kind of animal it is, but you're going to have to wrestle it. Yeah. Um, Second you see something in the visual style of a 70s pulp fantasy cover, you know what you're doing. Yeah, you have like you have clear expectations. So if you are a Conan fan at all, and you look at that game, you're like, oof, grimdark, but Conan, I like it. <laughs> right? So that... As opposed to, if somebody had hired me to make the art for that game, it would have looked like a comic book. And like, not even like a Marvel comic book, like something quite cartoony. And people might expect something very different from gameplay. And they might honestly not have reached a lot of the audience that the game is reaching, who are looking for that serious, artsy, pulpy good time. So just before reaching out, there's a question that comes up there, because we talked about um, using art as a reference, but is there a line between using those references and having those references use you? 
Do you mean like having, like making a reference and like maybe sort of trapping your audience? Yeah, trapping your audience or, or it becoming more about the reference than about the actual game itself. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think that's there. Yeah, I mean, I think that depends on the game to an extent. I'd say there are some games that are trying just to be a reference. Like I'm writing a, a brief um, board game right now that is basically supposed to be a small section of Star Trek. I'm, I'm filing the serial numbers off, but it's, it's pretty blatant, and that's really all I want that game to be. And likewise, things like you know the Conan RPG is probably trying to be a Conan RPG. Yeah, they're not. They're not hiding um, that. They're the not One hi- Ring is trying to take you to Middle Earth. Yeah, and that kind of thing, um, especially for licensed RPGs in those cases, or yeah. again, games that are very heavily influenced by something that really just does want that to be the only thing it does. But on the other hand, if you're doing a game where you do want to offer players a bit more choice of what kind of tone they're taking. Then yeah, if you're just using a single art style and it's an art style that says something very specific, you might lose out on something. And that's part of the reason why some games do choose to go through and get multiple different artists in a variety of styles, especially the kind of big fantasy heartbreaker kind of thing where you are expected to cover multiple tones. Yeah. I think there's also a trap where it, if you look at the shelves and you look at some of the big companies, uh, there is still a dominant art style in RPGs. Yeah. And it can feel like you have to use that art style or hire someone who can paint that art style because that's what you've been looking at. I mean, like, this is good RPG art. But I think having that art style on a game that isn't trying to be a fantasy heartbreaker or isn't trying to be Shadowrun, yeah. like, you probably want to consciously engage with that art style or not. Because if you wrap up a beautiful, thoughtful gardening game in fantasy heartbreaker style D&D art, yeah. people might expect something very different from what they get. Uh, and Science it could... monsters to fight. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, cool, I can't wait to grow my garden and then uh, leave it and roam the world and kill dragons. Yeah. It's like, actually, <laughs> that's not what that, that second part isn't in here. <laughs> I, know that, I know that you look really cool with all your gardening tools on the cover and you're throwing a fireball, but that was just because we thought that would be neat. Yeah. So just I think there's a you in. there. Yeah, for sure. And it's not even about pop culture as a whole and more just sort of like trying to figure out what industry expectations actually apply to your product. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, does anyone have a question from the audience? Yes. Hi. Um, what advice would you have for working with multiple artists with different styles on a single product? I would say figure out what you want each of those styles to do in your book. So if you have someone who does great black and white spot illustrations, then use them for black and white spot illustrations. And if you have someone who does really moody color paintings, then choose where in your book you want to use mood art. It might be chapter headers, it might be for setting or adventure info, right? You might want to use like more diagrammatic art for explaining things visually and more painterly art for setting a tone. Yeah, I'd say if you're trying to keep a very consistent style in your book, you want like four artists styles to kind of blend together then consider collecting a group of reference photos or reference images from a variety of artists and saying, maybe sending those out to everyone and saying, hey, this is kind of the visual style I'd like my book to generally lean towards. And of course, every artist is still going to bring their same style to it. But if they're all referencing the same folio of almost like a visual Bible for your story or for your game, then you know that they're going to be kind of drifting towards that middle. 
Uh, in terms of assignments, like what kinds of, of stuff your artists are doing, definitely look through their portfolio and see what they seem to be strongest at. But you can also just ask them. If you've got, you know, 16 different pieces you need assigned to various artists and you send out a list to all of the artists and say, hey, could you each tell me, you know, the three of these pieces you're most interested and keen on? And then I'll try and assign out art. And obviously, you know, if everyone wants to do one piece, they can't all draw it. But um, it's actually how I get most of my writing assignments when I'm working for big companies like Onyx Path or whatever, is they'll send out a list of writing assignments and say, hey, if you've got a preference, why don't you tell me now? And I do such good work when I get my top preference. I do pretty good work if I don't get my top preference. I'm a professional here. But it's often the same with artists. If they're drawing something they're super keen on and they're really excited to get going on it, then uh, there's a good chance they're going to give you just a really top-notch effort. And so if you can encourage that, then, you know, why not, right? Um, again, within the limitations, if you've got a specific artist and you know what you want them to draw because that's what drew you to their portfolio, then again, they're professionals, they will draw that for you. Yeah. Any other questions? So, you mentioned something before talking about the idea of uh, when does uh, mechanics meet up sometimes with art? Mm -hmm. <laughs> My question is um, quite often, as a game designer, you're faced with this idea of having to have. Uh, look for a graphic designer versus an artist. And sometimes, it depends, uh, if you're not prepared to go out there and get your own thing. Do any of you ever experience this idea where you are both? You are the graphic designer helping them with the iconology so that, that it simplifies the gameplay and all that, and then you take that graphic design and you, you turn it into art for the game, or for you for the game. I mean, I've made games where I am the writer and the playtester and the artist and the graphic designer and the person who physically puts the book together with a needle and thread. Same. So, <laughs> so I've definitely been there. Um, I would say if you're working on a larger project, I would strongly consider hiring someone as a graphic designer for your visual iconography. It's something I'd say most artists there's, are there's capable of. If they have to be. Yeah, but it's a um, skill set and a specialized skill set that you'll benefit from hiring a specialist in. Yeah, and a graphic designer, I mean, again, an artist and a graphic designer will share some of the same visual language understanding, and many artists are also graphic designers, but a graphic designer is also, in a certain extent, a visual user experience designer. They have a really good idea of what's going to be the most clear, the most precise, and they've often put a lot more effort into that as opposed to the other skills that a full visual artist has of, you know, anatomy and storytelling, storytelling and that kind of stuff. Painting folds. Um, so yes, if you are working on a small book and you just want one person to do all your visual stuff, you can absolutely find artists who also consider themselves graphic designers. And, you know, if you're hiring an artist for a little tiny indie RPG and you say, hey, could you also do a very quick layout for me for some extra money, then a lot of them will say yes. But if you are looking to publish something very big, I'd say that splitting up the artist and the graphic designer's role is usually the way I'd go. And like, I'm delighted if somebody hands me and they're like, hey, this is the visual language I'm using to show magic points in this game. Can you incorporate some of this? Or like, yeah. when I first started uh, working in the industry, I painted a lot of stuff for Vampire, and there's all of these sort of like... Uh, runes and, and things and signs Plan and sigils symbols, and yeah. symbols and like sh please send me those and they will go in these pictures yeah. for sure or like 
on like Glorantha stuff, everybody's covered in runes. <laughs> so I just have a, a list of runes, and then they all become tattoos. And yep. So it's 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 a delight to be given concrete, specific requests <laughs> like that. Sometimes as an artist, yeah. Instead of being like, just cover someone in some cool stuff. Yeah. It's like with this cool stuff, somebody made. Question. So this is actually kind of it's coming off of that, but it, it comes off of this question also. Uh, so as a um, so I'm a writer and publisher. So as a publisher, I'm used to kind of this top-down model where I'm picking artists or you know other or, you know or other designers or whatever I need, figuring out the art direction, sending out assignments, that kind of thing. Um, I'm kind of a just curious and also would be would like to hear some input on this where do you ever have projects where the artists themselves have more of a collaborative process if there's more than one on the like working on the same project and it's not necessarily like here's here's the same visual bible for everyone here's your assignments and more like you know do you have is there ever more back and forth between the artists themselves in developing collaborative work in a way I think you've done a lot more work on bigger teams. Yeah, it really depends. That's something I see mostly in video games uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, for that kind of like multi-person collaboration, you have to agree to be in the same room. Not the same room physically, sure. but you have to agree to be paying attention at the same time. So over the same week, you have to have those conversations or something. In RPGs, generally projects are long and people have to work flexibly around other commitments. Um, so it's not as usual in RPGs for sure. Mostly I just kind of get a series Bible or a shared Dropbox folder with other people throwing art in as well. Which I, is still great. Like yeah. it's great to see that art and be able to make reference to it in my own work. I have seen at least one RPG that hired an art studio. Uh, Exalted Second Edition hired a studio whose name I cannot remember at the moment to do a large chunk of their art. And that meant that they handed over their art direction to the studio, and the studio sometimes had two or three people working on the same piece, and much more of a, an assembly line kind of comic book, you know, line art, um, inking, coloring, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I haven't myself seen any situations where a bunch of artists were working together otherwise. Though I don't see why you couldn't add all of your artists to the Slack and ask them to share their pictures. I mean, and like, I do and it. I've yeah. done that for sure. Yeah, it just it tends to be. Uh, asynchronous unless you yeah. are making a big request and so you don't it's not going to be as robust a collaboration sure. but yeah. I think the other the other side to that question is like how much is the artist a co-creator of the whole game right and I think that's especially when it's somebody's first absolute darling game project <laughs> they really want everybody to feel like they can be a part of it they want to hold that door open and be like I love this and you're gonna love this and I've worked so hard <laughs> on it um and so that's something to be really upfront with your artists about at the beginning, to be like, hey, I would really like you to come on as a creative teammate beyond just fulfilling these briefs, but also like in a collaborative sense, making this, uh, making this come to life uh, in, you know, in a bigger way or collaborating in a bigger way or being part of a team in a, a more committed way. Yeah. I don't think it's impossible. Uh, and I've had some great experiences uh, with projects um, where it can feel really, really like a team, but you have to have buy-in right off the bat. You can't surprise somebody with that halfway into <laughs> the project. My, my follow-up was going to be, uh, what, at what point does that become uh, a burden when someone's like, oh, and by the way, I want you to like creatively contribute to 
Yeah. Well, and I have to read the whole manuscript, oh. but I didn't know I had to read <laughs> right. the whole manuscript. That's, That's a, problem. a problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, 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 my assumption when I'm getting hired is that I'm going to get one to three paragraph briefs per piece with specifications like size, color, or black and white, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so anything outside of that is a surprise. Uh, and needs to be pre-negotiated. Yeah. So if you want me to read the whole manuscript, mm -hmm. there's I can do that, but there's a fee. Right. <laughs> um, like the the art direction part, going through the manuscript and deciding what the art should be of, is a different job than making the art. Um, yeah. And so it's not at all a job that no one wants to do. It's a great job, but you just have to hire people for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, if you want something like, hey, all of my artists, could you send each other your works in progress through this mailing list or this Slack channel or this Discord server or whatever, um, just so like everyone can see what kind of style you're doing and maybe we can make sure no one has like two poses that are really, really similar. That kind of stuff is fine because that's really not yeah, a that's, lot of extra time or yeah, investment. Especially so much of the communication I do with clients now is in Slack or Discord or such. Yeah that like having a shared Slack channel with other artists is like kind of nice. Yeah, I'm already sending you my, my sketches, so I might as well send them to all the other artists. And then I get to see some cool sketches from other artists. Yeah. That works. Or even just that shared Dropbox folder where like, ding, you know, someone else has dropped art in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the joys of my life is being on projects with like Jabari Weathers and they <laughs> make gorgeous art and then it appears in a Slack channel I made it. I'm like, oh, Jabari oh. art. Ooh. <laughs> Can you see, see yeah. really nice artists I admire draw my writing? That's oh. like... Oh. Ooh. Yes. Okay. So we have a couple more questions I'm going to go back to. Because um, one of the ones is I really wanted to hit was illustrations also set behaviors and expectations within the game. Um, so how do, we, how do we make art for our games or, or set that up that help with uh, diversity of people, diversity of experiences, um, the diversity of play uh, in there as well. So um, how, how do you go about doing that? Well, I'm going to start off saying that I started playing tabletop RPGs with Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, and I went through the entire Dungeon Master's Guide, and I think I found two pictures with women in them. And I kind of got over it eventually, but it didn't make me feel all that great about playing a lot of women characters. Here's my add-on to that. Uh, were they two women doing things or having things done to them? I think they were both doing things. Neither of them were wearing very much. Uh, I'm not perfectly, like, don't quote me on the numbers here. Like, <laughs> two on the microphone recording all this. But, um, and, you know, that makes an impression on people. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why I've met a lot of girls who've said, oh, well, role-playing sounds really, really interesting, but it's, I don't think it's for me. And if you don't want that, if you want your game to reach an extended audience and you want people to feel welcome in the game, then including them in your artwork choices is very important. And I think there's a lot of steps you can take to do that. I think first off, you can put it very explicitly in your briefs. Uh, you can say this character is a woman. You can say this should be a wide variety of races in this picture. You can say this character is not white. They should have this skin tone. Um, I also think you can look for artists who have a portfolio that demonstrates they're comfortable with that kind of thing and that they, they do tend to draw a wide variety of people. Because um, I have heard... I actually heard a story on Twitter about an art director who'd requested a picture of a whole bunch of elves and it specified that they were supposed to be very diverse and they'd gotten, you know, 15 elves with different colors of hair 
and had specified afterwards, no, I'd actually like these people to have diverse skin tones, and got back one purple one and one blue one. Uh, so finding artists who have a portfolio where they seem to understand and represent a wide variety of people is another good way to make sure that your artwork is going to feel opening to them. Yeah, I like, uh, Nathan knows this, I'm real upfront about that being a thing that I care a lot about and that I don't want to work on games that don't care about showing a diverse range of people or making the game as accessible as possible. Um, I think, you know, talking about like, just literally show people, <laughs> show people who can play this game. That's what art is for. It's so good at that. Um, so you can sell that on the cover, you can sell that in the interior illustrations. Without even having to say it, you're going to send a really clear message. But I think also, like, you can set table behavior expectations. Uh, one of the games that came out really recently that the art is just so clear and so subtle and so smart is Starcrossed. Um, Alex Roberts uh, took Dread with the, the Jenga Tower and turned it into a romance game. Uh, essentially, that's a really bad pitch for it. It's a wonderful game. Um, and I remember talking to Alex about like who would be the right artist. Uh, and she ended up working with Jess Fink, who's a woman that does comedy and erotic comics. Um, and Jess has this really friendly, huggable, cute style and is dedicated to drawing diverse people and also aliens and mermaids and robots. And everybody gets to have a fun romantic time. And when you look at the final art, the game is friendly and approachable and the colors are nice. Uh, and bright and sweet and the characters are posed around a Jenga tower but looking at each other because the game isn't about playing Jenga the Jenga is there to support building these interesting stories about relationships so at no point is a character staring at the tower or worrying about the tower the characters are worried about each other because that's what the game is about so it's literally setting the expectation at the table that there's a tower there, but you're focused on the story. I actually used to hop in. I think one of my favorite illustrations from that is someone actually pulling a tile out, but not looking at the tile, yeah. but still looking at the other it's, person. It's striking when you notice it, um, but it's communicating really clearly what the priorities of that table experience are. And I think you can do that just as well with D&D. &D. Yeah. Right? Um, I would say in terms of diversity and making sure your game is including enough of it, uh, if you're, even if you are comfortable and say, I'm, I'm a very diverse person, I'm always going to include plenty of diversity, going through your art briefs after you've written them or your sketches after you've received them and actually counting out how many people in them are, say, you know, non-white or are women or are non-binary or are you know, various things that you're interested in making sure people feel comfortable with, like actually physically tallying them out uh, can be a really useful exercise because, I mean, I know I'm certainly guilty of this where I think back and I say, oh yeah, I've got plenty of people of color in my portfolio and I've got plenty of people of color in my game illustrations and then I go back and there's really not as many as I thought there were in my mind. Uh, and I know it's very easy to do the same with other types of diversity. Yeah, so, I noticed that everybody yeah. in my illustrations was between like 18 and 30. Mm, and I was like, yeah. ah, yes. Ah. Hmm. <laughs> That's a bias I didn't realize I had. <laughs> Should fix this. Yeah. To just add something to that too, when you go through it, don't just also count the people uh, who you've put in, also count the positions you've put them in. Mm. Because we do have those biases and expectations that come in, and all of a sudden every black woman, the magic black woman in your, in your art, that too is also bad. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of tropes, and there's 
there's like a lot of research you can do into learning how to catch those tropes, uh, getting feedback that helps you find them. Um, it can feel maybe a little overwhelming when you first start worrying about it, but you can also find artists who bring that skill, right? Find artists that people trust, that people recommend in this particular capacity and talk to them about your concerns and talk to them about how to make this work. And artists, of course, who are themselves diverse. That's really ideal. We're sitting up here in a... Uh, yeah, pretty, two, pretty, pretty white here. Yeah, but, two white uh, people, but... Uh, the, the art industry is expanding as well, yeah, and it's it's getting a lot better. And you go if you've got even a mar- modicum of like Tumblr fo- or not Tumblr, Tumblr mm-hmm. or Twitter followers or even Instagram followers in the industry, and you say, "Hey, I'm looking for some diverse artists because the people who've actually physically sent me my portfolio haven't been that diverse." You'll get people who will point you in the right direction. Yeah, I just saw a thread of that sort. Um, two or three days ago, and it already had dozens of replies of people pointing them, either putting themselves forward or pointing people in the right direction. It's so easy to to get that kind of help if you want it. Yeah. I was just curious if, as, uh, part of the, um, as part of the process, have either of you worked with diversity consultants on the art side? Because I'm kind of used to it on the writing side at this point, but I was just curious if that's come into the art project. I've started talking to people about it. It's definitely something that like, if I come onto a project where I have control over what's in the illustration, something that I'm going to be considering more and more, um, and something that I'll be budgeting for right. when my quotes, which is also unfortunately a very real thing. Um, but mostly I use it in my writing. That's where I tend to hire people. Yeah, um, I've also never worked directly with a paid diversity consultant. I've usually bribed friends with free pizza, uh, which is not the best approach, but it's for, again, my games are often very small, and I don't think I've ever published a, I don't have a lot of games out there with many illustrations that are clearly people that I've done completely myself. Uh, when I am drawing for someone, I generally expect that if I'm getting a brief, that they've done that kind of work already on a like art direction perspective. Yeah. And like, if I'm going to get somebody sending something back and be like, this person isn't holding a gun in the approved safe way to hold a gun while walking down a path feedback, then I also expect the client to be like, this person is, you know, we're reinforcing some terrible trope that we need to walk away from. Yeah. Um, And some clients are really good about that. And some clients uh, uh, have been really good about catching that in the sketches. Um, And sometimes you hit a finished illustration and you're like, oh, this didn't work and we are going to have to fix it. Uh, But generally, yeah, it's not in the art budget unless I go asking for it. And so that's something that maybe needs to start shifting. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, actually, that's going to lead into the next question I just kind of wrote down. Uh, so it's a surprise for both of you, too. Ooh, um, so what do you see that could be different? What, what places are unexplored? What places could we, in general, do better at? So, I mean, bringing back the idea of a diversity consultants for art. Uh, but, yeah, what, what, what spaces do you think we could fill with art um, for this? Oh, gosh. I have so many uh, opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I also do comics, and one of the things that uh, I think is completely underserved is using sequential art mm. uh, in <laughs> RPGs. And I don't mean doing a 24-page comic in the middle of your book, but just using multiple images to show consequences or set up and follow through, or even just to make jokes. I love when I get like just a two- or three-page comic in a book 
to show like a scene actually playing out, not a 20 page, whatever, but I just, I love them. Yeah. I'll buy a book just for that. I think <laughs> one of the things that I've enjoyed a lot is uh, there's a comic publisher uh, that's putting out a thing called Rolled and Told, which is a D&D, like a dungeon magazine style D&D magazine with adventures and articles. But for the first adventure, for the setup, how do your characters get embroiled in this problem? There's always a two-page comic showing you how it could go using their set of sort of pre-gen iconic <laughs> characters. And it's just really charming, and it sets the mood, and it's just fun to read, and it's so easy to pick up a comic and just be like, oh, I've read this in about five seconds, and I know exactly where we are and what's going on and what's going to happen next. Um, so I think yeah. that there, there's room there to experiment with that form. I'm not going to say I know how, but <laughs> I'm so curious it's about really what useful, could be yeah. done. Um, yeah, that's I, I love comics. I've done my own comic as well, so I'm definitely pro that. Um, I think you mentioned earlier that there is kind of like a like RPG art style TM that a lot of games tend to veer towards, and I tend to like that. It's It's very pretty. But it's definitely not the style for every game. And I really do often enjoy when people... I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased here. I'm usually contacted as an RPG illustrator when people want a kind of weird RPG illustration. I've got a very particular style, and I'm hired usually because of it. But like beyond my own artwork, when I see people who've also gone out and picked out very strange styles, who've made some very particular art choices, and often hired artists who aren't even in the RPG industry yet, because you're allowed to do that. You're allowed yeah. to hire people who've never worked in RPGs before. You can go out and hire like book artists. You can go out and hire like web comic artists. You can go out and hire people who've only done private commissions before, and they're on DeviantArt and they're undercharging. And then you pay them a reasonable rate because you're not a monster. Um, and yeah, when people bring in <laughs> when people bring in this kind of diverse art style, and also often with it a very diverse set of artists who haven't necessarily been involved in the RPG industry before. I think it it grows the industry, it grows what we're capable of, and um, I mean, there's nothing I like more than having like an RPG for every single person who wants to play one. I can't support that statement okay. enough. Oh my god. <laughs> it's, it's such a thing. I think, like you said, like the, the RPG style TM is, so, is beautiful, but it's, it's communicating one thing and as we try and make this industry bigger and as we experiment with what games can be and who they can be for, we also need to share and show that in our art choices. And if we want to create a more diverse industry, we want to have more diverse people making these products. And if you would like to see more diverse people making art, you have to get away from the art that's so closely associated with Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> because you're limiting your audience and you're limiting the creators who care about that kind of art. Uh, like limiting to those creators means you're limiting yourself to people who care about that kind of art who have been spoken to and highlighted and focused in that art. And it's not that there's nobody making art like that that's doing interesting things, but that there's so much other art out there. There's a wonderful uh, community that's building these amazing like fifth edition setting books and they're hiring <laughs> webcomic artists. So they did a fairy fire anthology uh, about a year ago, and they've got one up now that's like domestic magic systems for D&D. And the <laughs> art is so cute and beautiful. Oh. And I love it. And it just says so much about what they are getting out of D&D, what they are interested in in role-playing. And it's cute and beautiful things. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And I think that's just as important to this industry as uh, Mighty Feud Barbarians, and I really like Mighty Feud Barbarians. So. <laughs> All right, uh, and five minutes left. Any other questions from the audience? Yeah? How do we find out what a good rate to pay our artists is? Oh. You ask your artist. Asking your artist is a good idea. Yeah. Um, you can also ask them roughly how long it's going to take. Uh, you can look up industry standards. And honestly, if you have a budget, just go up to an artist you find interesting and say, hey, this is the amount of money I have to spend. This is the kind of illustration I want. Is this possible? Is there a style in which you can do this? Uh, I've had people contact me and say they've got a much smaller budget than I'd usually ask for. And I can say, well, OK, I can do this for you. I'm just going to have to, you know, I'm not going to add color. I'm not going to add this. They're going to be simpler illustrations. So yeah, ask your artist for a quote um, after giving them some information about what you want, or give your artist a budget and give the, ask them to give you a quote, there were quotation marks there, microphone, um, of what kind of art they can produce for that amount of money. And yeah. be prepared, of course, if you've got a very small budget for them, if they're a more established artist, to have to say, no, I don't think I can really accomplish that for you. It's, it's no artist is going to be offended that you want to work with them. Um, and most artists, you should be able to have a really straightforward and civil conversation about like what you can offer and what they can deliver. Um, and if you're professional about it, they'll be professional about it. And if you are looking to hire an artist on a very small budget, um, A, understand that a lot of them will turn you down. That's fine. Uh, B, never offer them for exposure. That's just mean. I think we all know that. Yeah. Um, but do consider offering them royalties. If you're asking someone to go out on a budget, uh, go out on a limb for you, and work on a game that may or may not be big, you're basically asking them to take a risk the same as you're taking a risk. So consider allowing them to, like, if you can only pay them a fairly minimal rate up front, um, then yeah, consider offering them royalties if your game does better than expected. I've taken projects when I was just getting started that were below my hourly rate when I was promised if this does really well, we'll give you more money. Yeah, I worked on a project that still every four months sends me about eight dollars. And hey, nice. That's adding up. <laughs> mine, mine never actually paid off, I should say. But I still felt okay taking that risk because I felt like, well, um, you're taking a risk by paying me some upfront when you may never pay that off, and I'm willing to take a risk and see if I can work a little less than usual for yes, some exposure and experience, but also some buy-in into your project. The other thing is that there's a lot of aspects to buying art that we don't really have time to get into yeah. uh, at all. However, your artist is going to know what they can sell you for how much money. And some of that is how much, how complicated the art is or how polished the art is. And then the rest of it can be something like how many rights to that art you buy for your game and how much the artist has the right to make more money off that artwork mm -hmm. later. And that might leave them open to things like lower rates if they then get to sell prints of something they think they can sell good prints of, or if they have an original they're going to sell, or if they're going to be able to relicense this in a year to yeah. other RPGs or fantasy novels or such. Yeah, so definitely ask your artist, yeah. and if you do have a limited budget, which I know a lot of RPG makers do have, then just be upfront with that and say that I understand this might not be enough for you, but can you, can you tell me what you could do for this? Yeah. So with two minutes left, I'll leave a final statement to both of our wonderful panelists. Um, Shell, do you have anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> well, there goes a minute. Um, Go check out great. Pocket Dungeons. They're so cute. Oh, heck, yeah. I make stuff. Find me on Twitter at Portable City. Uh, and also 
definitely like you don't have to look like D&D to be an awesome role playing game. And so take a look at all the amazing art that's out there these days all over the internet and see what speaks to you. Yeah. Um, I would finish that off. Same thing. Talk to a lot of artists. Most artists are, I mean, fielding questions from people who are interested in purchasing our art is part of our job. Yep. Um, we always budget time for it. You don't necessarily need to commit. Just don't, you know, don't try and intentionally waste an artist's time or anything. But, you know, ask questions and reach out to artists who seem like they've got a style you're interested in and see if you can work with them because a lot of them are really open to it. And frankly, RPGs are really fun to draw for. So you might get people who are very interested. And where can people find your stuff? I can be found at sweetingenuity.com. I'll have business cards up at the front. Good up. <laughs> Thank all you all so much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Jonathan. No problem. Yes, thank you. That's great. Here are my business cards.